0: on this episode of the survival dispatch podcast with chris heaven i'm joined by one of our top experts jj morris from fuel the fires and we're going to be discussing search and rescue and off-grid survival jj welcome to the podcast
1: happy to be here chris let's do this
0: right on uh so before we dive in you know we've uh, been put a number of your videos up on our youtube channel but i don't know that our followers have a full grasp of your background and experience and education and whatnot. So maybe we could start off with a short bio, let people kind of know who JJ Morris is.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those things that I absolutely hate talking about myself. When I'm when I'm actually <laughs> right. teaching classes, I, I I tell people I usually take a uh a a, a shoebox with me that has like all of my patches and my certifications and stuff like that inside of that shoebox because i know myself personally like when i go to a class for example and, and a guy wants to you know rattle off like all of these certifications and all it's like the first 15 20 minutes of a class is this guy trying to prove to me you know this you, you should listen to me because i am an okay. expert in all of these fields right and the background that i come out of as a SAR one we had to maintain those certifications every year or every two years, depending on what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so for example, like in a medical field, well, you got to keep up with that stuff every single year, right? Your hazmat certifications. Okay. Well that has to be something you have to do every two years, you know, your rescue specialist and, and on and on and on. And if you're not practicing this stuff, like just because you became a rope tech or an EMT or SR1, that doesn't mean that you you don't have to continue to, you know, keep your education going, right? So, you know, I developed this forever student mentality thing a long time ago, because there are such a thing as perishable skills yes. in this industry. And I think people forget about that. Like they, I don't know, maybe they were in the military, or maybe they were in Boy Scouts, you know, an Eagle Scout or something. If you don't practice this stuff, you lose it.
0: Well, and so and- I'm... I would Go just ahead, add yeah to that I would absolutely trying
1: to keep that going
0: for sure. i I would a hundred percent agree that these are perishable skills, but on top of that, it you know in general, the only thing that stays the same is that nothing stays the same. and you That's have to right. you have to stay abreast of that stuff, right? and and for our listeners who aren't familiar with the with the term SAR that stands for search and rescue. SAR Tech would be a search and rescue technician. SAR one would be a search and rescue um level one technician those sort of things but uh i'll turn it back over to you jj
1: yeah that's okay i uh i grew up in uh marietta in, in georgia and back then uh you know that was all horse pasture land back then marietta has grown into this metropolis city now that's a lot like atlanta so when i tell people you know i'm from marietta and i grew up right next to the chattahoochee River. Uh, you know, understand it was a different time back then. And and like most, you know, Gen Xers, I was outside all the time. I mean, if you're inside, that means you're sick, or you're having to do chores, or, you know, you're going to end up doing something, you're grounded, right? For example. So, you know, like most people in our generation, uh, you know, I was outside building forts and running the trails on the Chattahoochee uh, my whole life and drinking out of the garden hose. But I'm kind of like a a hybrid because we had a tree farm that was down in Butts County, Georgia or Jackson. And I don't know if a lot of people understand the amount of work that goes into a tree farm. Now my, my grandfather, I was, he lived right next door to us. Uh, He was a frogman in world war II.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: The Korean war, uh, Japanese American war. And I was the only boy in the family and my father my uncle they just weren't outdoors my I have a huge amount of respect for these men in my life especially my father he was a pharmacist an uh, incredibly intelligent man but he just didn't do things in the woods and okay. so coming out of a family where there were all girls and women running around pop always took me to go down to the tree farm and managing a tree farm I mean there's a lot of stuff that can be talked about with that not just managing the property but soil composition, understanding rotation of crops and, and, you know, watching your creek systems, for example, you know, you can totally screw up the land, not knowing how to manage it properly. And that includes the wildlife that is on that particular property. Uh, You know, think about disasters, right? Like you live down in Florida, a storm system hits down, you can imagine what the swath at a tree farm is from a storm system setting down uh even dealing with things like insects uh boring beetles for example pine beetles you know mess up your whole crop of ash or your whole crop of pine etc so i had a really awesome classical education because when you're on a multi thousand acre property you know when we go out to work a particular section of that land you're not coming back and there's nothing anywhere near you in the vicinity you know it's it's an hour drive to get to the piggly wiggly market right. that's in a little <laughs> bitty town. Right. You know, yeah. so I had to learn how to be self-sufficient at an early age. And I was blessed to have someone like my grandfather and his men that he went to war with that I could learn from. And back then it wasn't like they were handing out free lessons, right? You had to look, listen and learn. Yeah. And You know, if you talk about, you never knew when you did something right. You always knew when you did it wrong, (laughs) right? Like, I'm sure you can, you can,
0: uh, I can relate, you can relate to what (laughs) I'm saying there,
1: but you know, it was that education that, that was my foundation for what I do now. Eventually when I grew up after my grandfather had passed away, I went on to manage another really large property, uh, and it had several different facets that were involved in that property because a lot of it was conservation area. Uh, There was a ranch that had, you know, 40 head of cow and a mess of hogs and, you know, horses, et cetera. And then another section was 60 greenhouses and they had large gardens, you know, like one plot is an acre of a particular crop. And then another 250 acres is a golf course. And, you know, then another section of the property is a rescue facility for animals right like so when I got into this I married into this family at the time and they didn't have any outdoorsmen I know that sounds crazy I guess I should say hunters they didn't have any hunters that's probably the term that I should use Uh, but they needed somebody to put down all the animals you know we don't think about that now because now you have the injectable you know, syringe into the animal and they go to right. sleep. It wasn't like that back then. Bullets were a whole lot cheaper and none of them had the stomach for it. So I ended up, you know, having to put all of these different animals down. And we had this huge graveyard, you know, that we dug out with an excavator, you know, where we're burying massive amounts of animals. You can imagine all the horses and the cows, like how large these animals are. You have to have a really large graveyard. I guess so. For that. And it was a historic property as well. Part of the Trail of Tears went through there, so we had a lot of um guided tours of that property. Um, people that would come and pan for gold on that property, so they needed a property manager for all of this stuff. And none of them were hunters, like I said. And then there came a time when they built the golf course and they ran into major serious problems because each green. Is worth around Mm $60,000. And you can imagine a pack of hogs coming and tearing that up. That is a lot of money. Or what if, you know, the bear comes in with the deer, with the hogs, and they destroy one acre of their garden? You know, that's their food that they're growing, right? So it was all hands-on deck, like go slaughter every single one of them. So that's where I got into nuisance hunting. Okay. And I did that for... Many, many, many years. And it was through that process that I developed a, a reputation in the community up in Waleska, Georgia. And I hate to say this, but there's a, the superintendent for the golf course, he had a whiteboard in the shop. And mm-hmm. every time I would bring in a hog, he would make a little mark, hash mark on the board. And after three months, I had killed 304 hogs. Property on a thousand acre property. Okay. And they started calling me the Hog Hitler, which I hated. Like I could not stand that title, you know? No kidding. Well, I kind (laughs) of developed a reputation as a tracker. And then I got a call from the special operations chief for Cherokee County, and he wanted me to come in for a test. They were looking for a tracker for their team. And so I went in. uh, The team leader at the time, he was. 14 years, uh, trifecta for the Army, uh, you know, Green Beret, uh, Airborne Ranger, Special Forces. He went out and hid. I had to go find him. Okay. And they had another guy that was 20 years in. I ended up finding him. And then I went through a series of interviews. And that is how I got into professional rescue. That's where my career in search and rescue started. Right on. And literally started off in technical rescue. That's where I ended up becoming a rope tech. And Cherokee County was kind of a unique county in the United States. It's one of the largest counties in the United States, but it's also encompassed with urban environments and wilderland environments as well. So you have the USAR factor, the urban search and rescue, and then you have the wilderland search and rescue factor as well. So I had a really awesome uh, just education to start out with and i'm very grateful for all the training that i was able to get uh, while i was there uh, as i worked my way through the ranks uh, i ended up becoming an emt a rope tech and eventually worked my way up to a sartek one uh, uh, and that's where i became an alpha squad leader
0: uh, really? for search
1: and rescue and started working with other organizations which i'm sure you're familiar with how assets are sequestered by, say, the governor in times of duress or emergency, whatever the national response plan or whatever the federal government right. determines is an emergency, which is a very broad topic to discuss.
0: Sure is. But yeah,
1: so that's that's basically where I got my background or the foundation, if you will, and then started, you know... Uh, teaching for various organizations all the way you know down to like say the boy scouts and all the way up to you know military law enforcement and first responders as well so that's about as small of a nutshell as i can put it in i guess
0: (laughs) yeah i know that that's an awesome progression um as far as learning and then sharing everything that you've learned with other people so when did you well first off Tell us what Fuel the Fires is, and when did you form it, and what do you all do? Yeah, so,
1: you know, I say it all the time in my videos on YouTube, uh, and I joke around about some of these things like, you know, don't get monkey butt. If you can't save your own ass, you can't save someone else's. <laughs> right. that, that was forged in fire. Uh, as a first responder, you have to take care of yourself first before you start taking care of others because if you don't you'll become part of the problem rather than part of the solution an emergency on my part doesn't constitute one on mine that's that's another one that i use do no harm like k-n-o-w harm I, i use a lot of these phrases uh when i'm talking but the the number one thing that i heard in the field was i never thought it would happen to me i mean that's that came out of everybody's mouth all the time i just wouldn't believe it because a lot of people just don't realize it but emergencies happen every single day in this country and they can be large-scale emergencies and for those people that's their apocalypse that's the end of the world scenario that that happened to them and i realized when i was in the field having gone through all these experiences that man if people just had a basic level of training the emergency that they they found themselves in wouldn't have been an emergency and that really played on me emotionally physically spiritually etc when i was in the field and i said you know what i've got to like train as many people as i possibly can and through that training i met a bunch of people that were experts in their fields whatever that field is okay. let's just call it a blanket self reliance uh, field there and maybe they just don't have the platform that i have to speak from okay right so Field of fires is a co-op i i wanted to get as many like-minded people together as i possibly could because like you like you're recording this podcast right now and you had mentioned about sharing your conversations with subject matter experts and whatever their field is to be able to share that with people i have that same conviction when I started feel the fires and as soon as I retired from professional rescue that's when I started up feel the fires which was in 2021 and so right now we're trying to build a network of like-minded people and we like to think of our community as a like-minded community that really has no walls right like a classroom yeah. doesn't have to have four walls it could be in any any facet. It could be in social media, it could be outdoors, in-person classes, it could be online content, etc. And that's really how I ended up here with you guys with Survival Dispatch, because I wanted to extend that knowledge base as much as I possibly could out of the experiences that I had. And so here we are.
0: Yeah, so what's interesting there is, you know, at the end of the day, we don't necessarily attract what we want, we attract what we are. And so there's a lot of synergy between what you're doing at Fuel the Fires and Survival Dispatch, you know, our the purpose of Survival Dispatch. The reason Survival Dispatch exists is to dispatch information so our fellow man can survive in these very uncertain times, full stop. And yes. Everything else that we do is just like a byproduct. It's a result of of the pursuit of that goal. So it's very, you know, synonymous with, with your goal as well. And then just to give people an anecdotal example, we've had you know, some offline conversations on the topic of water filtration and water purification, which most people do not realize just how complex it is. And I was telling you, you know, that we've had a ton of products sent to us and virtually every single one of them has failed, has not, you know, performed the way the manufacturer said it was going to perform so much so that we got to the point where every time somebody wanted to send us a water treatment uh, product, we're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks because it right. it invariably ended up a waste of our time and energy to find out that this $500 product dropped the alkalinity of water by 2% but didn't do a darn thing else when it came to you know purifying that water. So I know this and you know a lot more on this subject than I do. So why don't we you know kind of go down that rabbit hole for a minute and discuss you know, the the whole concept of being able to, to filter and purify, not the same thing, filter, we're taking particulates out of the water, you know, really turbid water and purification, we're making it, you know, potable so that somebody can drink it without being sick. But you made a comment to me that, you know, people just don't, people don't know what they don't know. And when nope. somebody gets sick from a waterborne ailment, whether it's, you know, bacteria related, virus related, it it's it's like death so yeah i mean give give me your thoughts yeah. on, that, on what you've seen in the field when people have contracted giardia and all these awful things
1: yeah i might actually get on my soapbox here a little bit because you know, this is a topic <laughs> that it. i am extremely <laughs> passionate about uh and sometimes you know i told i told you this earlier sometimes i try to keep my mouth shut because you're in every, invariably going to get in an argument with somebody about this you know especially when you're watching like youtube youtube can actually be very very dangerous uh, because people are trusting people and they don't understand that person's background or where they got their data from etc like when you come to a class with me for example i try to back up every single thing that i talk about with some kind of hardcore uh information behind it right like i try to load the silver bullets Uh, Like, for example, when I sent you the quiz, you know, I had proof from legitimate resources. And if you look at those resources in the search and rescue book that I sent you, you can certainly understand why I'm so passionate about some of the stuff that
0: we're discussing right now. I think that that's so important. It is. Let me just touch on that quickly. So uh, by the time this podcast uh, launches, we will have uh, soft launch survival dispatch insider memberships. And what JJ is referring to is, is he gave us a list of, of really awesome questions that kind of benchmark what your survival IQ is, like where, where you rank and whatnot. And, you know, the great thing about it is everybody wants to know, like, how am I doing? And they also want to know, okay, well, I've invested all this time and effort. I've gone to classes, you know, with fuel, the fires, whatever I've, I've consumed a bunch of online content. Did I move the needle? You know, so you get somebody who's brand new, they take this quiz and it says, you know, you scored 20%, nothing to be ashamed of. You don't know what you don't know. But then six months later, after you've, you know, done all these things, well, have I actually moved the needle? Well, I know I've moved the needle, but how much have I moved the needle? Next thing you know, is they take the test over again, score 40%, you know, they've doubled their skills Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So uh, a way
1: to mark their progression in their knowledge base
0: yeah and I I mean I'll be honest with our listeners and you've heard me mention this in off the you know off side kind of conversations with you and Jason Sawyer I don't consider myself a survivalist anywhere near the level of you and Jason I'd like to think I do better than the average Joe but at the end of the day I don't have your skill set which is why you know it was so important to us at Survival Dispatch to bring you into the fold because you have the opportunity to really up people's game but if we can measure that you know, if we have this badass survival prepper IQ thing that people can take over and over again, they can tangibly see, hey, I've moved the needle. I am improving. I'm getting better. So on and so forth. So, you know, hey, apologize for going offside there for a second, but that was the gist of what JJ was referring to when he said questions for the quiz. They were questions on things that I would have never considered. Put it that way.
1: Yeah, everything from mindset to applicable skill and theory, et cetera, is all in that test. And I, I agree with you 100%. Like People need something like that, honestly, that they can do in the comfort and safety of their own home as well. Because a lot of times when you get in person, people's pride will get in the way. Absolutely. And I think that this is a great way for people to be in a safe place and to really have a, a test of their knowledge and, you know, okay, hey, this is the area that I need to work on, you know, and that test will will help people to find, you know, the avenue that they need to go down, that they need to travel down to learn more about this particular topic, because, I mean, not all of us are experts in every topic. You know, Jason and I say it all the time, like, we don't consider ourselves experts by any means. Like, I push forever student mentality all the time. And like you said, things are constantly changing, right? Like, even in the medical field, there's been advances. Right. You know, back when I was in, it was like the ABCs and now it's CAB and, you know, textbooks are constantly changing and advances in, you know, science and technology, et cetera. You need to keep up with all this stuff. And so I think that test is a great thing that you're you're doing over there. So I'm proud of you for that.
0: Well, thanks, JJ. I mean, we we just wanted to give people the opportunity to measure where they are and measure their progress. And it's funny, you should say, you know, like things, even medical first aid changing and whatnot. Um, brandon kern from battle box a good old boy from Georgia as well and he's yep, a, going very he's, well he's a knife connoisseur right like he loves knives and uh you know he was saying to me in all these years he's he's never had any you know injuries or incidents with knives and then him and jason our jason jason sawyer were in texas at the the tank shoot deal and shortly after jason sawyer left brandon sliced his leg open like i mean sliced his leg <laughs> open Uh yeah it looked like you know somebody cut a, a ham that had just come out of the oven sort of thing like the fat on it sort of thing oh boy. boom split open so he was on a tight deadline he had to get back to houston or maybe it was san antonio to jump on a plane blah 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 and there was some girl there and she had an fak in her vehicle and they were all saying brandon you gotta go to the hospital he's like i can't go to the hospital i gotta get jump on my plane typical guy stuff right and uh-huh. um so she you know debrided the wound cleaned it up and whatnot and then she took out these butterflies that had like zip ties on them and brandon had never yes. seen them before and he said man they 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 stuck like glue to his skin and he said what was really slick is like a normal butterfly as you would know you have to push the skin together and then try apply the butterfly he said she just cleaned the whole area you know put the sucker on his leg so it was nice and firmly attached she pulled a couple zip ties and boom it sealed it up and he showed it to me on zoom last week and i it looked better than what a scar would look like if somebody had a sutured it and it, it definitely in you know traditional terms would have required sutures but i had never heard of that so yeah. here, here i am listening to him tell this story thinking to myself holy shit i need to add those to our vehicle emergency kit you know our get home bags and all that kind of stuff because." I don't know how to suture somebody. I don't know how to suture myself. I I don't know what I do in that situation sort of thing. I probably wrestle with a stupid, you know, butterfly, which I can't get to work because it seems like everything I stick them on, they don't stick and they come right off. So,
1: Well, that gives me a, a great video idea. I can show you all in a video, in a future video, how we create that zip tie effect in the field, utilizing whatever stuff we have in the field, because that is a bona fide, method to uh to sew somebody up in yeah. the field if you will um so yeah there's there's lots of ways that you can do that um without having the actual product on hand like as long as you've got some gorilla tape around and you've got a, a thread and needle uh it can definitely show you how to make that happen in yeah. the field
0: that that's really interesting and i'll, I'll quote my good friend lane kelly um, was a paramedic in bradley county tennessee for many years uh, before he started his own business roundtable munitions um, we got on the we were discussing this topic and tourniquets and whatnot and Lane has a very dry sense of humor and he said well you know all bleeding stops eventually yeah it does <laughs> you know, <and> so, <laughs> so so either you or an expert stop the bleeding or you'll bleed out and die either way the bleeding will stop
1: yeah we we call that kind of stuff ditch medicine when you're in the field like having to improvise uh, when you're in the field and that stuff is important like i encourage people to learn as much as they can about that kind of thing
0: yeah well i mean there's so many usage cases for the knowledge that you share with people right it's like jason sawyer says you know there's different levels of shtf it doesn't mean that we're in some You know that we're in Armageddon, or you know some apocalyptic thing. It could be as something as simple as, you know, you're out hiking, and you get bit by a snake. You fall. Hey, like, I can't remember the one video you had. There was something chasing you through the woods. What if you had a trip and stumbled, and that critter had got a hold of you? You have the knowledge to deal with that. I don't have the knowledge to deal with that. So you know, all I've got for a backup to fall on is my little Garmin inReach Mini 2 to hit the SOS button. Help, I fall in and I can't get up. <laughs> <You> know, <like. laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. it usually equates to, uh, to either ground pounding on the ground or having the technology to back it up. And typically a helicopter ride costs about $60,000. So I try to tell people to be as prepared as you possibly can be because that is an expensive ticket.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> for, for sure. Somebody who's been almost killed in multiple MVAs, none of them my fault. Uh, when it gets to the helicopter stage, it ain't no fun. That's not a good situation yep. in. I've been no, there. That's that. a bad day. Yeah. It turns in, you get a little bit older and it turns into a bad number of years to follow it up, but um, definitely, definitely a good point. So, you know, you, you touched on hunting as well, that you grew up hunting and fishing. And you know, what pearls of wisdom can you share with our audience? because there seems to be this common misconception that if the shit hits the fan, that's okay. I'm just gonna bug out to the woods and live off the land. And sure you are. <laughs> I, I don't think that that's particularly, uh, you know, realistic, but I'd rather hear it from yourself. Yeah,
1: so we can we could jump into that, but uh, I think we had left off on the water filtration thing. Okay, like that's something that we really didn't dive into, you know, at a hardcore level or whatever. Well, uh,
0: so the rule of threes, right? You know, you can go about three days without water, about three weeks without food. But so let's, yeah, absolutely, let's talk, finish the conversation on water, then move into, you know, food. yeah
1: uh yeah so when was the last time that anybody who's listening to the podcast actually went three days without water or they went three weeks without food i mean for for real like most people start to get a little crazy after say just three days without food or less you know i I, especially when you start adding stress into the equation and i've seen all this happen in real time um that, you know, and those are just generalities. I guess the survival rule of threes is just a generality. Like people can live longer without three days of water, right? Right. They can live longer without three weeks of food, but guess what? It's going to suck, you know, and and a lot of people forget about the other threes, like, uh, you know, 30 hours of rest. Like I've been on a lot of, you know, rescue missions where it required me to be up for several days at a time. You know, I'm catnapping like maybe 15 minutes when I lean my head up against a tree or something. You know, once you you have deprived yourself of sleep and you've deprived yourself of eating and, you know, hydrating properly, like you start to get stupid real fast and it it, it doesn't take very long for that to happen. And so I guess going back to the disaster scenario thing where we were talking about water i you know that is one of the the biggest things that i could stress um you know just to kind of paint like what a disaster scene is like a lot of people don't realize it because you know they're watching tv and all they get is what they get on tv if you've never been to a disaster scene you just don't know and only people that are you know first responders law enforcement even the military when you get sequestered or you know they need assets on the ground that's when you see all the stuff that changes your life right like people don't talk about water enough you know so let me give you an example we'll go through a small exercise right now for the listeners so let's say all of the uh the woods around you are on fire and i'm the information that I'm giving you came from a scene that I was on in North Carolina during the North Carolina fires. Okay. All right. So let's say all the woods around you are on fire. Okay. Number one, most people don't realize it doesn't smell like a campfire when the woods are on fire. Imagine all of the things that are being burned. All right. Let's take your house, for example, what all do you store in your garage alone? Do you have batteries? Do you have paint, glycol, antifreeze? What kind of compressed cans, paint, et cetera, do you have in your garage? Do you have fertilizers? Do you have insecticides? Is there rubber in your garage? Right. You know, what, all, what kind of chemicals do you have just in the garage alone? Forget what's underneath your sink or what you keep in the bathroom, for example. Okay, now all that's on fire a house so what all is being burned up and what all is in the air now let's talk about local businesses all right let's let's look at a golf course for example think of all the volatile chemicals that are on a golf course to begin with all the stuff that goes in there, spray tanks right what about the local walmart think of every chemical you could think of or a home depot a lowe's a menards whatever the store is imagine all of that stuff on fire and imagine all of the airborne particles that are in the air, and not only is it in the air, but it's also going into the water supply right. at the same time, right? Because they're fighting the fire, right? So all that water goes into the ground. It makes its way to the drains. It makes its way to the drainage ditches, eventually to creeks, rivers, street streams, lakes, ponds, even swimming pools, etc. All of this stuff getting mixed together and i don't think people really realize it when they hear stories like fema didn't get there for two weeks palestine ohio right okay so what are you going to do in the interim period when that happens like what are you going to do we were we were required to be prepared to live out of our vehicles for two weeks anytime you went to a disaster scene that's your clothes your food your water, etc. But the truth is, you should never rely on the government, number one, to take care of you. And the second thing that I want to bring up is, I am in full support of prepping. But what happens when the disaster scenario eats all of your preps? Like, what are you going to do then? And I have seen people's, the life just fade out of their eyes on scene when all of their stores are gone and it's like, they're looking around, like they have no idea what to do. You know, all of a sudden they're talking to anybody and everybody and doing all kinds of things they normally wouldn't do in order to satisfy just something as simple as water. Right. Which is a a huge one. And so you and I had discussed that uh, when we were talking about filtration systems. And, uh, you know, I think that's a topic like we could literally have an entire podcast about (laughs) i think that
0: so i think first and foremost we don't have whether it's fuel the fires or survival dispatch we don't have any relationships with the water filter water purification companies Uh, but there are a couple that you field tested multiple times and have worked well for you can you share that information with our listeners? Yeah, Be-
1: absolutely. Because um, when you
0: shared it with me, what did I do? I went you and, went out and got it. You recommended because I'm so jaded by, you know, there's a lot of snake oil in that industry. We tested a bunch of stuff and every last one of them failed. So when you told me that you had a couple things that you trust and you trust because you've used them in the field in these horrible situations, I, there was no question. I, I just was like, okay, I got to go buy this stuff because it actually met jJ's litmus test. And I know what you're like, you know that you're not you're not you're like Jason Sawyer. You're not going to even remotely suggest that somebody should look at a product if you have any inkling that it's not up to par. So when Absolutely. you actually say when you say I use this product because I trust it, then people like me who aren't on your level, clearly, you know, should be listening. So, you know, what are, what well, is They should know
1: if, if you watch any YouTube video that I'm in, especially like with the SD videos that I've put out recently, the stuff that I have in my EDC, the stuff that I have in my backpack, the stuff that I have in my vehicle, that was all forged in fire. Like there is a very specific reason or a circumstance that I went through. And that is why I have that stuff with me at all times, um, or at least, you know, try to have access to now, because the reality is that those supplies can disappear. They can be stolen from you. They can be destroyed in a storm. They can be they can break in the field, et cetera. And you, you really have to have a working knowledge of what you can do with the resources that are around you when something like that happens. But that doesn't give you an excuse to not prepare. And so, you know, with these recommendations, I also want to say, understand, number one, This is an emergency scenario that we're talking about. This is not the most idealistic scenario that we could talk about. Take, for example, the water municipality authority in your area. Think of all the processes that your local water goes through before it gets to the tap in your house, the faucet in your house. And it's still (laughs) contaminated heavily, right? We We know that. Okay, so the products that I'm about to recommend do not, or they're not the end-all, be-all. You have to understand what it is that you're doing. You have to understand what the potential dangers and hazards are, and you're just trying to lessen the effects of what is in that water source.
0: Context um, matters.
1: So, yeah, so context definitely matters. And so for me, there are several different things that I use, uh, I think number one, in my vehicle itself, like if I ever went to a disaster scene, I always had a first need XLE purifier okay. that was in the back of my Jeep or my pickup truck at the time. Um, I also keep a SteriPen pin so that I can treat it with ultraviolet light. And I also have chemical means of purifying the water as well, like the in uh, purification tablets or Aquamira uh, is another one that I carry. Uh, but there's also pre-filtration, which is very, very, very important. Uh, for example, if you fold a shamog over four times, you get 40 microns of filtration about, which is about the same as a coffee filter, right? Okay. So let's say you don't have a coffee filter in the field, but you have a shamog or a bandana, right? The more times that you fold that piece of cloth over, which could even be a twin sheet. I actually used to carry a right. cotton twin sheet in my pack because there were just so many things that I could do with that in the field from bandages to filtration to you know creating stretchers to carry people out with uh, you know privacy concerns if someone got hurt. Uh, right. I mean there's a million uses for a twin cotton sheet, but filtration is one of them um, So people when they they hear about filtration, or pre-filtration like this, they need to understand that's just large particulates that you're taking care of. That's the stuff that you can visually see that's in the water, right? But what they don't consider is they are extending the life of the filter that they're carrying. You know, and I don't care what filter it is that you're carrying. I mentioned the first need. But in my case, I carry a grail. I have a geopress that I carry with me. And if you look at the specs... And I'm going to say, don't just look at the manufacturer specs. Look at independent studies that have tested these products before you purchase anything. The longer that you can extend the life of the filters that are with your product, your particular product, the better off you are. Because what happens in emergencies most of the time is people, oh, yeah, I bought this grail, right? It's the best thing since sliced bread. It takes care of 99.9% of all the ugly stuff out there, you know. Cryptosporidium and Giardia and, uh, you know, they're not thinking about heavy chemicals, for example, they're not thinking about the medications that are actually being dissolved in the water that they're, you know, pulling from, you, you need to take as many steps as you possibly can before you get to the final, what I would consider the final, which is running it through a grail or a first need XLE purifier, uh, you know, so I, if I have any doubt whatsoever I will run it through a series of processes myself before I will drink the water. And that is in an extreme case of survival, if you will, uh, like in a disaster scene. I do not trust the water whatsoever.
0: Me either. I I think that, uh, you know, there's a point that needs to be brought up for people is that uh, choosing your water source carefully is a big deal. And it's interesting, so it's interesting that you mentioned filters, for example. So, you know, I, I've seen videos, somebody did a review on some water uh product, and there's a sniper in the comments that says something to the effect, well, you know, that I'm not impressed by that. Um, why don't you, you know, try something that's really dirty water? And the answer to that is is unless that's your only choice, that's your only source, you should always be choosing, you know, the cl- cleanest possible source for the reason that you mentioned uh brandon curran somebody made some snotty comments on one of his videos on on water you know filtering and purification and they said you know why don't you actually try it with some dirty water and he said okay so he went and did a follow-up video and he's got a pond on his property and he's a farmer and uh, it's all runoff you know it's not running water it's stagnant and it's nasty ass stuff and he put it through processes just like you've mentioned But it it wrecked the filters. Like the filter was done at that point in time. Like, why? I know which pond you're talking about. Yeah. So then he's, you know, in his case, okay, he's a prepper. So he's got new filters to put in. But if you're out in the field, you're in the middle of BFE, you, you know, you're many miles from civilization and you're choosing your water source, you should choose the best source you can the moving water that doesn't, you know, it isn't really turbid, meaning that it doesn't have a lot of particulates in it and whatnot um that can make your processes that much easier right like if if yes if it if it's half as dirty then it's half as much work to, to you know make it drinkable
1: yes no i i get you know that comes up in my life quite a bit like people are always asking me questions like the p1 always comes up like should i drink my pee, JJ? well no you probably shouldn't you know yeah it's sterile um you know were you dehydrated before you started this journey uh you know let's get real you know and then the next question that comes out is, well if for some reason there is absolutely no water available and they usually paint this picture by saying they're in the desert or something and they find the coke can i don't know where that story comes from but they find a coke can like should i drink the coke in lieu of having any particular water source (laughs) available or, okay. you know, then they'll give, go even further, like, should I process the sweet tea through my grail, you know, to get the water, at, to, you know, it's like people get these crazy like scenarios <laughs> in their head, like stuff you just don't really think about unless you've been in a scene like that, you know, like somebody's afraid to drink the pop or the cola or whatever. And they want to know, like, how can they filter the, the water out of those products, you know, on scene or whatever. Like, right. I, I know that sounds crazy or whatever, but it, it, it actually happens and you know one thing that we do teach in search and rescue and it was a highly controversial film that we just did i was talking about life over limb uh in one of our shorts that we did some people are so afraid to drink from a water source and i can tell you from personal experience i have found many 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 people that got so dehydrated that they were on a one-way ticket to dying wow if you have the water source available drink the water Okay. That extends that small period, you know, gives you a window where a professional rescue team can come in and they can get you and we can treat you with all kind of antibiotics, et cetera. Okay. After the fact, don't not drink something, you know, drink the Coke. Yeah. Drink the sweet tea, drink the, whatever it is that you've got available eat as well. You can get a lot of moisture out of foods. For example, uh, people don't take that one into consideration either. Um, You know, there's a lot of ways that you can extend your life, if you will, by taking measures like I'm talking about right now. So that's something I just wanted to throw in there, maybe off topic a little bit. But that's just uh, some stuff from my experience that I guess I feel like I need to tell people.
0: For example, Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, there's all these things that matter, you know, when you're trying to find your water source and what you're doing to filter it and purify it filtering purification again not the same thing filtering is taking out particulates purifying is taking out the nasty stuff that'll mess you up sort of thing but um you know the the grail geopress that that you like i went and bought one as soon as you recommended it um the uh, first need also bought the
1: pre-filter as well for it
0: yeah and i highly recommend yeah, I appreciate the guidance on that because that's just kind of a sore spot of something that, you know, I don't trust a lot of the products out there because they quite frankly have failed. We were, we've were we been sent some very expensive products and they moved the needle ever so slightly on alkalinity, but they didn't touch anything else. They didn't pass a bacteria test, you know, they didn't get all the particulates out so on and so forth. So I'm, I've been kind of jaded. So I really appreciate your guidance you know, on, on the water side of things because it's absolutely necessary. So then, like you said, the if next- you
1: take the steps like we just talked about, I, I can say from having been in the field for way more than a decade that I have never been sick uh, that I'm aware of, like, you know, the after effects of, you know, Giardia, Cryptosporidium or any of the other chemicals, et cetera, that could be in there. In the field, but I took those steps, and I was very serious about it. And I wouldn't let anybody strong arm me into not doing it, which I highly recommend to people. If somebody, especially when you're stressed out, people can pull you into doing all kind of stuff that your gut is telling you not to do. Like in an emergency, especially, you need to listen to your gut a hundred percent. If you're listening to this right now, you are here. From here on out, you are responsible for this information. I am telling you, you need to take multiple steps when it comes to your hydration. And hydration is very serious in this kind of scenario. Not just from, you know, people don't think about what hydration does for you. Like as far as being able to thermoregulate, that's a big one. As far as being able to digest your food. But think of all of the, vital organs in your body from your lungs your brain your heart your blood your skin etc those processes will not work if you're not hydrated you're 66 to 70 percent water if you don't have the water you're not going to be able to think clearly in that scenario and you will make poor choices and so water is one of the highest priorities for me when i go onto a disaster scene
0: so, you know, while we're giving shout-outs here, you brought another product to my attention uh, from Campcraft, which is like a canvas sleeve that goes mm-hmm. over your grail that is a great pre-filter. So it'll take Excellent. take take the take the heavy, you know, particulates out, right? I mean right. so I I went and bought that too as soon as you recommended it. And here's the thing, we get sent all this stuff typically for free by different companies that you know they want us to test it and then potentially endorse it, m- maybe. 10, 15% actually gets onto our website or on our channel. But you also right. touched on something else I think is really important. So uh, Tony Blower is a friend of mine. He's world-renowned expert in self-defense. And he teaches, I mean, this guy's a very accomplished martial artist, but that's not what he primarily teaches. What he teaches is how to uh, detect life-threatening situations and avoid mm-hmm. them. Uh, you know, yep. he teaches you how strategic to strategic dev-
1: avoidance. Yes. yeah, and he Huge. teaches
0: you how to devalue yourself because the best fight's the fight you don't get in. I mean, I, right. I, I'm sure there'll be some keyboard warriors, you know, who have the balls bigger than the brain syndrome, and and think that you should fight to the death <laughs> every chance you get, but that's not a winning strategy, right? No. So he he brings up a really interesting point that you just touched on, that bears you know it's worth repeating. Is he said every single person who's been in some sort of crazy situation, like they've been, uh, somebody's tried to rob them, rape them, somebody's assaulted them, somebody's tried to carjack them, all these different things. He said every single one of them will tell you that they had a sense of something not being right. Something's wrong. Oh, here.
1: absolutely. 100%. And, they,
0: and they didn't listen to it. And then escalated into a life or death situation. There's a TV show. I can't remember the name of it. My wife likes to watch it, but it's basically on people who've escaped death under all these crazy circumstances. When Tony Blair mentioned that to me, you know, I'm not a TV watcher kind of person. I'll walk by and she's got an honor or whatever. All of a sudden I was hypersensitive. To people saying, well, I had this really bad feeling. I had this gut feeling that that it was, a you know, I was in a bad situation you got to follow that. Right. So that's what Amen. you brought up as well. If you're, yeah,
1: absolutely. You're going to think is
0: because something's, something's awry. You should probably listen to it.
1: You know, like, uh, there's a lot to be said about that, Chris. Um, you know, I talk about, you know, talk, talk, let's talk about painting a disaster scene and, and what that's like. Right. So, uh, you, you, back then we had pagers and we had to go to our, um, accountability basically which is a staging area where you know they're trying to figure out what strike teams they're going to put out in the field etc and so you have to stage them somewhere and so you go you get your mission you go to the mission and I'm just going to kind of paint the picture for you of what it was like for me getting on to the North Carolina fires like my very first mission so I, I get there And the very first thing that I noticed, besides the smell, which is something that you will never, ever forget, uh, because it's like there's just no other smell quite like that. Um, But, you know, all the smoke in the air, limited visibility. Obviously, people are being evacuated from their homes. And so you have these people that are wandering around everywhere, and they're using things that you could not, you know, I mean, obviously, you can imagine what they're carrying their stuff in, but it's amazing to me what is important to people. Like they'll have a bedsheet that has I don't know picture frames or family heirlooms or or whatever right. it is that they could grab that they're carrying around like Santa, right? So you're watching these people. Maybe this person has a radio flyer and they're carrying their wine collection with an electronic, you know, bottle opener, trying to find right. an outlet to open their wine you know or golly like shopping carts uh you know whatever rtv or golf cart or even lawnmowers they're they're pulling trailers and whatever they could hook up to these devices that they have at home right where they're carrying all kind of weird stuff so you're seeing that but then at the same time you're noticing why is the lights on the gas station right there and you start to realize, okay, all the first responder cars are there, the military cars are there, you know, the ambulances, the 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 police, et cetera. And you notice that a civilian is taking their car and their batterer, you know, use it as a battering ram to get the police car away from the the fuel pump because you know they need to get their fuel, right? So, Crazy. what I'm trying to paint here for you is everybody is in some stage of grief when you go to this kind of scenario it's chaos it is like the apocalypse so you know now my attention goes to the front doors that open up which is these double sliding doors like you see it like a racetrack or a, a quick trip or a speedway or something like that and two deer run out of the store and I think to myself that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life yeah. but as they run by I hear the bell uh, someone has abandoned their brand new Corvette with the door open and the keys in the ignition. Right. And then next to you, there's, you know, the media they're there, they're filming everything. You've got, you know, first responders who have just come on the scene and they're like all gung ho. And they've had six, you know, espressos and they are ready to fight whatever the world has thrown at them. And then you got somebody over here, that you know, they're slipping into a diabetic coma because guess what? There are no pharmacies open and it was their day to go get their medicine and they didn't have any extra at home. That's a, a huge one. You ever watch somebody slip into a diabetic coma? you know, And then there's a cyanotic baby in some lady's arms and she's wailing. I don't even know how to describe the sounds coming out of a mother that's lost their baby in the field. And then you look around and you realize man, all of the supplies are gone. Like all the fire trucks have been completely emptied of all the supplies, all the ambulances, all the police cars, all the first responders, jump bags, their stomp bags, their you know all the gear that they're carrying around with them, all those supplies are gone. And there comes a time where you're sitting there and you feel completely helpless. Like there's absolutely nothing I can do because there's just complete chaos. Out there, going on all around you, and the only thing you can do is hand somebody a cup of coffee. Like I used to carry, you know, Folgers, Cafe Vostello, some Vias, like from Starbucks. Because some people are really snotty about their coffee.
0: Right. But you know,
1: just being able to hand somebody a cup of coffee or a water with electrolytes in it is—I cannot even tell you how life-changing that is in a, in an emergency. Some people will. Hug you like you have never been hugged before in your entire life, like it is 100% genuine, authentic love of another human being. Like yeah. you've never been hugged like that before in your entire life, and it's it's little simple things like this. But what I, what I was talking about is I have seen professionals in that scenario that lose their minds. Like you probably know someone in your life that drinks alcohol. And they drink a certain type of alcohol or enough alcohol. And it's like a switch goes off on them. They become a totally different person. Right. This happens to professionals in the field where the switch goes off, where they've just had so much input or trauma or whatever you want to call it from being in that scenario that it's like you the deer stop. in the headlights thing. Like, yeah. where are you? You know, And they could be really good at taking tests. You know, when we do our field exercises, they're amazing, all-stars, et cetera. But going back to that, you know, that little voice in your head we were talking about, I cannot stress enough how important that is. Like, Tony was 100% correct about that because that is when your brain has gone into primitive mode and is trying to right. keep you from dying, right? He, and it's he made, so
0: important. He he made it really – yeah, when, when we had that – conversation he made a really interesting example jj he said to me he said you know what do you stand to lose by choosing safety like listening to your gut you know and he always right. refers to choosing safety he said so you pull off the interstate and you look at a gas station and you think hmm that looks kind of shady well why not choose safety and say i'm not going to stop at that gas station i'm going to go to the next one that looks to be safer He said, you're not losing anything, you know, by choosing safety, listen to your gut and, you know, don't be lazy about it and say, I'll I'll just stop in here and get fuel. Next thing you know, you're being carjacked, you know, or assaulted or whatever. Um, Another point, just because, you know, you dumped a ton of insightful comments here is, you know, you said, you know, don't trust the government to look after you. And here's something you can probably attest to. Um, when the fire started in Maui and continuing right on, uh, FEMA has been advising all people on site not to share pictures and stories to their social media because it'll whip people into a frenzy. And I disagree with that myself. I, I think that knowledge is power and that if somebody's, you know, trying not to disclose information that there must be some reason why, and it's gotta be better than that because people know that the shit's hitting the fan there. So, you know, I would I would totally agree with that. I w- I don't trust three letter or four letter agencies at all, but that's another story. And then the next thing that you said, which has really been an interesting topic that's been top of mind lately, people will think nothing of stockpiling food, right? They might have a year of stock stockpile, they might have three years, five years, whatever the case may be but they rely on certain medications to keep them alive and they have no stockpiles of those medications. So like you said, they're, sure. they've been burned out of their home and now they don't even have whatever little bit that they did have stockpiled. And then it becomes life and death. You know, if they, let's say they have yep. a heart condition, whatever the case may be, and they don't have their meds. Now they're, they're facing, you know, a really, really bad situation. And, you know, we've done some work lately with a uh, medical preparedness.net and, they're really the first company that has spoken to me from a prepper perspective. They're not in the business of selling pharmaceuticals and they don't sell all the painkillers that people get hooked on and all that stuff. They sell things Obioids
1: like opioids and benzos. Yeah, and, they, yeah. They they don't do any Narcotics.
0: of that. They sell things like blood pressure meds at pennies on the dollar. It's FDA, FDA approved stuff. I'm not trying to be like an infomercial here or anything. And they're, they're probably. Do prob- they sell ivermectin? <laughs> as a matter of fact they do um and it's you know three three billion people have been prescribed ivermectin over the years since it was approved i think since 2015 um for drinking contaminated water and whatnot so forget about that other you know stuff that that other you know pandemic crap um it's a legitimate drug that does wonderful things when you ingest something or get exposed to some virus that's got a hold of you sort of thing but it's interesting. Just, you hit on a ton of topics there, JJ. Um, and, you know, further to that, you know, we watch all of our stats on our videos and whatnot, and we see how long uh, the people's engagement is. And I we're seeing longer engagement on these audio podcasts for sure, but we're, we're running up against, I don't know, someone over, over an hour here on this particular podcast. I'd like to have you back soon. second time because we didn't get to dive into food and you've got so much knowledge and firsthand experience that i I feel like we just scratched the surface today Uh, oh
1: yeah no we we didn't even come close to it you know like i I was sitting there thinking just listening to you speak about there there are things that we could write an entire list about like communication for example uh one of the biggest pain in the asses and i know every first responder You know, law enforcement guy out there, gal listening is going to talk about this one because this is a huge one. Like every time you go on a scene like that, the phones are dumb or down and everybody in the world is trying to charge their phone. And so as a first responder, you don't want anybody to even know that you have a phone because in the background, we actually are given priority on any cell phone towers. Right. Okay.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: so that's that's something that people a lot of people aren't aware of. You know, I didn't first know responders, that. police, they're they are all aware of this. Even the military guys are aware of this. Um, and so you don't want to get caught talking on your phone, right? And you don't want to get caught like where you're charging your phone either. So that's like something that you try to hide because there will just be this massive rush, gold rush to, you know, either get your phone or to, to charge their phone. But even if they charge their phone, they're still not going to be able to make the phone call. And it's really hard to explain mm-hmm. to somebody, like okay Verizon wireless for example they're sending drones that are going to be up here temporarily where y'all will be able to make phone calls but they, they don't want to hear that
0: <laughs> you right. know like what do you
1: mean it might possibly come you yeah. know so now they're waiting on the Verizon drones you know to come and and help them make their phone calls but it's you feel sorry for these people is what i'm getting at like maybe they don't have their medicines maybe they're just trying to tell their family in another state that they're okay or something like that or locate right a family member or or whatever the case may be, your, your heart definitely goes out to them, but that's just one aspect of it. Like there's so many other things to talk about when the SHTF situation happens or whatever level of SHTF scenario happens uh, to you. So, yeah, I definitely love to come back and discuss any of that stuff.
0: I think you and Jason Sawyer in particular have done a really good job of communicating to people that, if they're gonna, you know, try and be prepared for an SHTF situation, it it should be related to your geography. So for example, those of us in Florida and the Gulf states, for us, emergency preparedness means hurricanes, right? Right. So people in Oklahoma and Texas and whatnot, emergency preparedness should probably be focused on things like tornadoes and hailstorms and Uh those are because in the grand scheme of things those are the emergencies that you're most likely to face right absolutely the the north you know and northeast preparing for grid down situations in the wintertime because of ice storms maybe they have no heat and have no electricity for weeks on end man Uh that's a major shit hitting the fan type of episode yes so here's what I'd like to do, JJ. Let's let's uh, get together on our calendars. Let's schedule another follow up because I mean you've got so much information to share with people. I, I mean I sit here and I listen to you. You know whether we're having a a team meeting, we're sharing a podcast, whatever. And I I pick something up for you, multiple things from you, every time that we speak. And uh, you know I really really appreciate that. So uh, thanks for being on the podcast, JJ, and look forward to the next time.
1: Absolutely. Just trying to preach the gospel, brother. Help as many as we can, right? Amen.